0: Hey man, how you guys doing today? Man, it's good to be back. I feel like I haven't seen you guys in a while. Uh, Kelly and I were on um, on our vacation uh, the past week. We got an opportunity to go down to South Florida. Oh, it was beautiful. It was very hot. I come back and I feel like, like literally, I know some of you guys are like, Ooh, it's hot today. You went down to South Florida and it's... I mean, you walk outside, literally from me to the car, walking there, I'm sweating. And I'm like, man, it feels great to be back. But it was, it was an awesome time for Kelly and I to be able to spend time with her grandmother. Um, Kelly's grandmother actually got baptized about a year and a half ago. And so for all of you out there who are feeling like, man, I just keep trying, keep trying to convert my family, and man, I don't have any faith. My faith is, is waning thin. Uh, Kelly's dad actually got baptized way back in the 70s, yeah, way back when. Um, and has been trying to, you know, reach out to his mom and she became a disciple a year and a half ago. And so it was so cool to be able to sit there and just talk with Kelly's grandmother, my grandmother and have her ask me questions like, Hey, how's it going in the ministry? How are you doing spiritually? And I'm like, "Whoa, I don't even know what to say. I feel kind of weird. Like this is like, grandma, are you kind of like, you know, grilling me or like, no, she's generally interested. I was like, man, this is incredible. This is awesome. (laughs) So, uh, for all you, like I said, hope that's an encouragement to your faith that, you know, sometimes it just takes time. Yep. But, uh, little transition here. I love the 80s. You guys like the 80s? I love how the 80s are coming back in style. Right? And the teens are like, what? No, seriously, your clothes are just what I wore when I was a little kid. I'm telling you, they're coming back. You know, and, uh, I grew up kind of in the 80s, early 90s area. Uh, you know, decades don't exactly, uh, styles don't stop once you hit, you know, the zero. Uh, they keep on pulling through a little bit there. But, you know, the 80s were awesome. Whose best years were in the 80s? Woo-hoo. Whose best years did you remember? You look back here at your photo albums, you're like, man, the 80s. That was it for me. You had hammer hammer pants? Yeah. Those are coming back around too, aren't they? Yeah, you guys see, see, see the uh, teens wearing hammer pants, and I'm like, hammer hey, time. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? Slap bracelets, right? Yeah. Those quickly became, you know, urban legend. If you use them too many times, they'll cut your wrist and you'll die from using a slap bracelet. Right? Bright colors. Alf. You got Alf. You guys remember Alf? Alf was great. Great, great. Ate all the cats. But the best ever was the mullet. The mullet. Some of us had our best days wearing the mullets. Some of us, that, that, that made the 80s for us. That made us cool. But you know, the best thing about the mullet was that it was the best of both worlds. You know, it was business in the front, party in the back, right? That's what made it awesome. Now, I want to ask right now. If you're embarrassed, it's it's okay. Who had a mullet in the 80s? Raise your hand. Now, let me say this. It's not just for the white guys out there. If you had the jerry curl thing going on in the back, that was a mullet, okay? I just want to say that right now, okay? Thank you. Yes. Think about it. You had Magnum PI, Knight, uh, Knight, Rider, with like that sweet curly mullet. Yeah. Man, those were the days. But you know the title of my sermon is that there's no mullets in the kingdom. Oh, no mullets in the kingdom. No mullets in the kingdom. Come on. You can't have both and make it into the kingdom of heaven. On, you can't have all of it here on earth. Do whatever you want, live the lifestyle that you want, live it up, party it up, sin it up, and yet expect to have a citizenship waiting for you in the kingdom of heaven. You can't have both. You know, if we're wanting to make it into the kingdom of heaven, if we're wanting to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven someday, then we have to start living like one now. And that's my one and only point today. If you're wanting to make it into heaven, you've got to start living like it now. You know, this one of those stipulations of making it into the kingdom of heaven is you can't have a mullet. You can't have, you can't have it both ways. You can't have your fun here and expect to have a citizenship waiting for you in heaven. You know, First Peter 2, it talks about this. Hey, we're aliens of this earth. We're not even citizens of this world. We're just citizens of heaven waiting to be called back to our rightful place. Uh, Let's turn over to Luke 18. Today we're going to look at, hey, how do we make it into the kingdom of heaven? We'll look at some passages here where Jesus spells it out for us quite clearly. What we need to do to make it into the kingdom of heaven. So Luke 18. Starting in verse. Starting in verse 15. It says. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. for The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter into it. So in order to make it into heaven, Jesus says that we need to become like a child in order to get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, for me, when I think of children, I love the way that they ask questions, All right? If any of you have kids, you know that the, the questions never stop. It's why, 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 and how, and how, and how. And you're saying it keeps going, keeps going, keeps going to the point where you say, okay, that's enough. Thank you. <laughs> I think I've exhausted my mental knowledge and my patience. <laughs> you know, my son Maddox, uh, is starting to learn to swim. and um, this past couple weeks, he's really gotten, uh, got the bravery to jump in and just go for it. And once he started learning it, it's been awesome. Cause now he's just, he's soaking it up. He's asking me all kinds of questions all the time. Dad, how do I sink to the bottom? Like, you know, where you, you blow out all your all, all your air and then you go to the bottom? Because he's like, I can't I can't go down to the bottom. I'm like, well, you, you do this. He's like, well, Dad, how do I swim this way? How do I do a cannonball? How do I do this? And I'm like, man, he's asking so many questions because he wants to learn. He wants to know. And the best trait of a child is that they have the humility to ask a lot of questions, to continue to ask a lot of questions. I think as we... Grow older we lose that quality. You know for me I think I don't I don't ask as many questions. I got to ask myself why is that? I think a lot of times is that I think I know already. I've been around the block a couple times. I don't got to ask questions. Probably the bigger one even for most of us here is that we're too proud to ask. We don't want to look like we don't know. We don't want to look like we're in need that we have that we have some type of question that we don't know the answer to ourselves. And I remember a time when I was with uh, Deb and uh, Ed Anton sitting around the table and many of you hung out with him. I probably had the same question asked to you. Deb asked me, she said, when was the last time, Jeff, you went after your pride? And I was like, after my pride? I'm a very humble person. I don't know when the last time went after my pride. <laughs> when was the last time you went after your pride? asking me a question like that. I'm humble. I like to think of myself as a humble person. Come on now. You know, I started thinking to myself, I'm not even prideful. I don't need to go after this. It's not a big thing. I know other people that are prideful. I can point them out to you. I can tell you things that they do that I don't. Come on now. I'm a humble person. Now you gotta ask yourself, when was the last time you went after your pride? Because the heart of a child is a humble heart. You know, and if you're asking, if you're having that little conversation in your head, the same one that I had out loud with Deb, uh, maybe you're, you know, a little smarter than me, and you don't ask those questions uh, completely out loud, but you think them. If you're talk, if you have to tell yourself, I'm not prideful, or I don't need to go after my pride, then you're prideful. Because a humble heart says, maybe I am prideful. And I can't remember the last time I went after my pride. Man, maybe I do need to work on this. That's a humble heart. You know, another trait of a child, is, um, aside from humility, but which is actually linked close to humility, is that they have a complete dependence on their, on their caregiver, on their, on their parents. Complete dependence. You ever want to freak out a kid? Just tell them their parents aren't coming home. Right? <laughs> like that's what. Sometimes I mess with my own kids. I mess with Levi. Levi's four years old. And I'm like, Levi, you're going to have to live in the backyard from now on. You're out there. You've got to forage for yourself. Berries and nuts and roots. It's all you. You've got to make a little teepee out there with some sticks. You're on your own. And, you know, Levi's not at the age. He doesn't understand uh, sarcasm quite yet. And so he kind of looks at me like, what? What? He's like, he's kind of had like this little panic. He's like, but, but I, I can't, because Levi can't comprehend the world without his parents. He can't comprehend, there is no, there, there is no I. He, he views the world through his parents, through his caregivers. Wow. You know, the heart of a child is that's how they view the world is, hey, I view it through God's eyes. You know, For us, we got to have that complete dependency. On God is that the way that we view God? That we see God only? We see our whole world through God's eyes. It's not me, but God. You know, Jesus makes it quite clear. It's not a. It's not a. Hey, you got to try really hard to have a childlike heart. No, you won't enter the kingdom. You can't have it both ways. You can't have. Your own heart. No, You've got to have a childlike heart to make it into the kingdom. A childlike dependence on God and a complete humility as well. Let's uh, continue on in Luke 18. Uh, verse 18. It says, A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you are still, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible for man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. If Jesus says also one of the, you want to make it into heaven. He says it's impossible for the rich to enter heaven. He says it's like a camel entering through the eye of a needle and I know there's a lot of different uh, takes on this passage. Well, hey, maybe there was a, maybe there was a gate called the needle and, you know, the camel had to duck real low. No. It's purely saying this is the biggest animal that you know, which then was a camel, and the smallest opening that you know, which was the eye of a needle. But it's saying the largest thing and the smallest thing. Those two have to fit. Impossible. You know, for all of us, I think we do have to understand we are all rich. We've heard all the stats. We know that 80% of the world lives on less than $10 a day. We've seen the commercials, right? Late, uh, late at night about donating your money. 22,000 children die a day due to poverty. There's 2.2 billion children in the whole world. 1 billion live in poverty. It's almost half of the children. So we are rich. We're rich. I don't have to explain and go through any more stats. We are rich. This passage is written to us. I love the phrase first world problems, right? Cause we all, we all have those. Netflix isn't buffering fast enough. Man, my show's not coming on first world problems. My cell phone's freezing for the fifth time. I got to go into sprints first world problems, man. They don't have the vegan option here. First world problems, right? We are all rich. We're on the same page with that. Amen. But the problem, the same as the rich man, becomes that we can take money and make it our security. We can make it our idol. It's what tethers us to this world. Not allowing us to have true citizenship in heaven. I think a lot of us can claim that our heart belongs to God. But we have to, and we like to think that we can make the same statement that Peter makes. That we've given up everything. Everything. But in reality, we really haven't. You know, in the book uh, titled The Kingdom That Turned the World Upside Down by David uh, Burkot, he has a couple of questions in there. I think we're, we're, we're really great thought-provoking questions when it comes down to the way of how we view our money in this kingdom mindset. You know, if you're the breadwinner of your family, I want you to write down on your sheet of paper how many hours you work a week, including commute time. And then I want you to write down how many hours do you spend cleaning, maintaining, and purchasing the possessions that you have? Then I want you to contrast that with the hours devoted to kingdom interests. Whether that be Bible studies with others, sharing your faith, prayer, personal Bible study, fellowship, serving the poor or sick, or even your own family spiritual needs. Look at those two numbers. Compare the kingdom interest to your own worldly ones. Where does most of your time go? I know that we need to work. But would you really be able to convince Jesus that we are only focusing on the necessities. And that we truly have given up everything to follow him. Don't get me wrong. I know we have to work to keep the lights on and keep food on the table. But what if Jesus walked in right now and asked. Asked you about, have you given up everything? Is money your idol? Will we walk away sad, just like the rich young ruler? Now, which comes first in a a conflict between the kingdom and your job? Is it automatically the job? Which comes first when it comes to a church-wide event, or your job, or even your own personal time with God? Or dare I say your own family's spiritual well-being? Is it your job first? You know, for the homemaker, whether that's the mom or the dad, I used to be a stay-at-home dad, so got to give some of the props. It's very hard. I'll say I did not like it. It was very hard, although I had uh, an infant, so even more props to the moms out there who stay home with the infants. But for the homemaker, would you be content if there was less money? Only enough for the necessities. Would you be happy with that? Yeah. Do you spend more money than what actually comes in? Do you complain about the amount of money that comes in? I think all these questions. They got to get you start thinking about, are we really living like citizens of heaven? Or are we living like citizens of this world? Now, it's interesting in the New Testament... Money starts to take on a different connotation. In the Old Testament, it's viewed as a blessing from God. And the New Testament, quite honestly, it's viewed as a curse. It's viewed as something that you don't want because it's, it's hard, impossible for you to make it into heaven. I think our attitude towards money needs to shift. It's a tool for me to help others. You gotta start thinking about how many hours do you actually spend? Serving the poor. I know for me, this was an, a, a real convicting point. I mean, even just, what do you do with the leftover stuff in your house? You throw it away or you make it a point to drive it to Salvation Army? I mean, even those things inside your head. What about the homeless man you pass on your way to work? Have you given him a dollar? Have you brought him a sandwich? Is it on our minds? You know, the benevolence basket getting passed around every couple of midweeks. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the amount in there keeps dropping. The amount of money that we're actually giving to the poor. You know, is money really our idol? Or are we, do we view it as a tool that God has given us to help others? You know, what if Jesus did walk in and ask you to give up everything? How excited would you be? I love the fact that a lot of us knew David and Nadia, right? Now they have actually, they're in um, Sri Lanka now. They're there uh, starting starting their work. But it, I got to know David uh, pretty pretty well and got to spend a lot of time with him. And I remember David, when he first moved here about a year ago to get trained to go out to um, Sri Lanka to lead that church out there, David asked, he goes, can I borrow one of your, um, uh, sorry guys, I have a speech block sometimes guitars. And I was like, yeah, sure. I got four of them. Why not? I'll let you borrow one. I was like, why'd you need one? He's like, well, I sold everything. I wanted to play a guitar for a little bit. I sold all my guitars. I sold everything I have. It's all uh, the only thing I have is actually in my car right now. And I was like, Ooh, yeah. Did you need more than my guitar? You want to you borrow anything else or take it with you? <laughs> you know, but to David and Naya, this was real. They sold everything. I mean, how inspiring is that? But what would you say if someone came up to you right now? What if, what if Steve walked up to you after church, it was like, hey, I need you to go overseas, I need you to sell everything, and make your way over to help out the kingdom? How excited would you be? You know, it's not enough to call him good teacher. Notice that the young man, or the rich ruler, calls him good teacher. It's not enough just to think Jesus is great. It's not enough just to show up on Sundays. You actually got to start living like you're in the kingdom today. Nothing before God. That God has to stand king over this life and in the next. You know, in, in conclusion, anyone can enter the kingdom of heaven. No purchase necessary, but terms and conditions do apply. One of those is no mullets. Alright, guys, with me on that one? <laughs> Alright. But you gotta have a humble, childlike heart. You have to have the ability to grasp humility. Oh, I like that. That was a little Ed thing. Oh, ability awesome. to grasp humility. Alright. All right. Our complete security has to be in God, not in our wealth. This has gotta show in our attitude towards our money. If we want to be citizens in heaven, it needs to show here on earth. Our challenge today is, I want you guys to ask yourself this question, are you living like a citizen of heaven right now? I want you to look at the areas of humility and your wealth. And do you have the same attitude that Christ had, the same attitude that's that Christ asks for us and demands of us for us to enter heaven. Do we have that same type of attitude when it comes to our humility and our money? The challenge is to go after it this week. Put some time and effort into it. People spend hours to become citizens of America. They do. That only lasts for this life here on earth. How much time are you putting into your citizenship that will last for eternity? take the time. You know, in verse 29, it reads, Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and the age to come eternal life. You know, it's not for nothing. Blessings will come and it won't be money, but blessings will come on this life on the, in this earth and for our eternal inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. Our reward will be in heaven and that citizenship comes with benefits. Yeah. It comes with a room in heaven. It comes with the ability to sit face to face with God for eternity. Yeah. You know, but we're only able to do this. We're only able to accomplish the impossible through one man. We're only able to have the hope... That we can make it to the kingdom of heaven one day through Jesus and his sacrifice. That we have the access and the ability to look forward to our reward in heaven only through his death on the cross. And so at this time, we're going to have an opportunity to take the bread and the wine. I want you to think about the sacrifice and how that he was able to make the impossible become possible for us for us to make it to that kingdom of heaven one day and for us to be citizens with him. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. God, thank you so much for the ability that you've given us to do the impossible. God, thank you that you have made the impossible possible for us. That you have a place waiting for us in heaven. God, I thank you for your son, God, that he was willing to lay down his life as a sacrifice so that we can see you one day, God. And God, thank you for the bread and the wine that we're about to take, God, and help us uh, this week to live like we are citizens of heaven, in eagerness waiting for the day to go see you once again. God, and I love you. Thank you for your son and his sacrifice on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.